Hello, this is Jenny Nichols, and this is Local Share Green Action Podcast, where we hear from people across the U.S. that share their stories about work they are doing in their local community with a common goal of taking green action that helps care for people and wildlife and the environment in our local towns and cities. Our goal is that we might be able to learn from and inspire each other while we find our own solution-based action that lets us live meaningful, sustainable, eco-friendly lives while cleaning, protecting, and repairing the environment and helping everyone meet the challenges of the COVID-19 pandemic world that we live in now. Today on our podcast, we're speaking with someone who, after semi-retiring, decided to take her passion for organic gardening and flower arranging and turn it into a business that provides pesticide-free flowers by subscription and for flower deliveries. We're talking with Gwen Bourne. Gwen semi-retired in 2018 and combined her lifelong passion for flower arranging and organic growing to start Gwendolyn's Gardens. She grew up in Australia, the Philippines, California, and upstate New York, and was fortunate to be inspired by gardens and farms in different cultures and climates. Gwen's family and ancestors have always gardened, from her parents growing flowers and vegetables on a half acre, to her grandfather at Adelaide's Botanical Gardens, and back to her great-great-grandmother who fled a Scottish castle to run away with the gardener. Now she grows flowers and with a few vegetables on her 14th of an acre with a brand new greenhouse. She is part of the founding Reno Flower Collective and the Northern Nevada Flower Collective and promotes pesticide-free gardening to benefit the bees, bees, butterflies, bugs, birds, and beetles. Gwen provides flower subscriptions and delivered arrangements specializing in locally grown flowers in upcycled containers. Welcome, Gwen. Thank you. Nice to be here, Jenny. Thank you for what you do. Yeah, so we're so excited to speak with you and find out more about your path of green action that led you to flower farming and creating a floral service business. So what events in your life first planted the seed to want to take some kind of green action? I think um, environmental issues have always been important to me, um, partly from traveling, seeing what other cultures do, but um, sustainability has, has always been important to me. Tell us why we would want to buy naturally grown flowers? So flowers are great um, wherever you get them, but when you get flowers from further away, first of all, they're not as fresh, but um, when you get them particularly from out of the country, they they really are soaked in um, pesticides to enable them to come through the country without bringing in whatever species are attached to them. And um, it's just uncomfortable to handle flowers that are soaked in pesticides, but you don't want to eat anything you get from a floral provider. You grow your own flowers, you can eat an amazing number of beautiful flower petals. So besides shopping locally, growing to support your local micro populations of all the bees, um, you just want to avoid pesticides wherever you can. That's great. So when did you first become aware of the plight of our pollinators? I think what, what really kicked it off for me was being part of the Great Basin Institute and working with Washoe County and the Forest Service at Galena Creek Visitor Center. Galena Creek Visitor Center, we brought an intern over from France who built the largest bee habitat hotel in Nevada. It's six foot by nine foot. 
So I would say that really kicked off more of my direct knowledge about the plight of the pollinators and um, what other places are doing about it and what we could do locally. Bee hotel. So it's kind of like for mason bees and other types of natives? Correct. We call it the bee hotel. (laughs) So did you, so you helped build that as well? Exactly. Yes, I was director of the Galena Creek Visitor Center and um, with support locally from foundations and Great Basin Institute, we um, brought over some people who had more experience in this. And there's a terrific two pollinator gardens up there now, up partway up Mount Rose Highway, uh, being managed by a volunteer for the most part, Emma Wynn, who is a botanist, and um, she works with local resources. And it is an amazing resource to be able to go and look at the native plants supplemented by non-native that survive and do well here for pollinators. And then how to support the pollinators throughout their larval stage, through their adult, and through the winter. Excellent. Excellent. So did you have to change the way that you garden from maybe previous years or have you always... No, I've always been pesticide free. I moved to Reno in 2001 and um, that's the first time I was able to really have my own garden. So I've always been pesticide free and I've got perennials that have been here from that time that that just do great. Um, I've found that you don't need supplemental nutrients except for things that you can provide naturally like compost and leaves and mulch and manure. Part of the reason is that plants can get addicted, if you will, to supplemental nutrients because the nutrients give the plants more than they would find naturally. And so then they, wow, they grow fast, they bloom great, and then they don't have enough nutrients to subsist unless you keep feeding them. So peonies have done so well here. Rosemary, lavender, roses. Um, I've got probably growing 50 to 75 different flowers, perennials mainly, and annuals that just do great. What was involved in actually starting your business, getting it set up? Well, it's a lot to start a small business because <laughs> you have to be, you know, you have to be a lot of things. You have to do the, the media things, setting up the website. But I've gotten a lot of inspiration from local people and a lot of help. SCORE, that's an organization that helps small businesses set up. They were great. Inspirationally, I've got to say Flint Street Farms, what they do is incredible. Prema Farms, Um, And then these local flower growers who were starting out, 509 started out last year. Sheila up on Mount Rose Highway with uh, Drift is starting out. So getting inspiration from people and keep building on what I'm experimenting with, what other people are doing. It's inspirational. It's a lot of work. But, um, you know, the passion is there to be able to grow flowers, to be able to make arrangements to be able to spread the message about, hey guys, we don't need to be using chemicals blanketed throughout our yard. Uh, It's inspirational and it gives me purpose and passion. That's great. So you mentioned a little bit about um, the legacy of gardening in your family. Was that passed on to you, some of the organic gardening methods that you're using, how to build fertility that was kind of passed down as well? It is. I would say I had a bad experience as a child. My father grew this broccoli and brought it in. 
and soaked it in water in the sink. And I'll tell you, the whole top of the sink was covered with larvae. And I thought, you know, why would anybody eat like this? Why would you want bugs all over your food? But, um, you know, as you understand it more, you learn to not be frightened of bugs and you learn that kind of natural systems in place that help bugs manage each other and the birds manage the bugs and it becomes exciting. So um, what helped you decide what types of flowers to grow? Well, I love experimenting. So my family is science background, and I just love experimenting. So I like to read, I like to learn from others, but at the end of the day, I like to stick stuff in the dirt and see what happens. So this year, I've been really surprised by snapdragons. I did not know snapdragons not only overwinter, but they stay green all winter. And then early on in the spring, you've got all these incredible flowers from plants that stay green all winter. So that's my newest discovery, but really experimenting, just trying everything and seeing what works. It's so much fun. Nice. And so you don't have that big of a piece of property. So does it even surprise you how how much you're able to grow on such a small footprint? It does. And um, Florette Farms, which is a farmer grower up somewhere in the north east. Sorry, I don't know where they are. But anyway, they give guidance on how close you can actually plant things. So things like foxgloves, snapdragons, you can really put them close together. And that makes the roots go down further. It makes the stalks go up higher. Yeah, there's really an amazing amount that you can do on just a regular home property. So what were some of the, maybe the challenges that you faced initially getting going or getting the word out and that kind of thing? Um, I would start with bugs being a challenge. (laughs) I got a new greenhouse that is, it's really um, beautifully built, but boy, does that foster bugs throughout the winter. So the challenge of learning how to deal with bugs on an organic basis, it's, it's um, ongoing, ongoing challenge. And in terms of the business, I've kind of been having fun with it. Joined the farmer's markets last year, both the California market and then the Great Riverside market that Prema Farms started, year-round market. So I've been really enjoying the farmer's markets, getting in contact with people. I don't do advertising because I'm still experimenting and learning. And I have enough to keep me busy with subscriptions, with orders, with the farmer's market. So it's growing not only the flowers, but the business is growing organically. Nice. So you did I understand you correctly that you're having bug issues inside the greenhouse or you got the greenhouse because of the bug issues outside of the greenhouse? Uh, the greenhouse issue, the issue is the bugs in the greenhouse because you can't have that um, natural ecological balance of bugs when you have a closed system. So experimenting with that, you know, learning about ladybugs. There's issues with buying ladybugs and bringing them in because they could impact the local ladybug population with different little things that they carry. Lace wings are supposed to be good. So I had the greenhouse for the first time this past winter, and that's a brand new learning experience of how to balance the that protected, sealed area to, um, yeah, deal with bugs. 
What are some of the ways that you have really enjoyed some of the rewards? I know you you mentioned you're kind of having fun going to some of the farmer market, farmers markets and things like that. But do you get a chance, I guess, to maybe interact with some of the customers and some of the the fun part of it is that or? Yeah, absolutely. It is so fun talking to people and, um, you know, seeing what they do, learning from what they've done. Um, having them learn from, oh, wow, you can really grow this here in Nevada with our climate and our soil. Um, So sharing across the board uh, makes it fun. And then being semi-retired, it's fun to have that social interaction with people who are interested in the same things that I'm interested in, uh, the environmental systems. But growing flowers and arranging flowers is just incredible. The smells I have flowers here from a friend who just dropped them off yesterday from her garden. We've got peonies and mock orange. So the smells and the joy that flowers bring, and then knowing that you're contributing in whatever small way to sustaining our bees population. It's um, very rewarding. So often I know it's said that growing flowers in your yard will help attract beneficial insects and help create a habitat for them so they can help protect the vegetable garden. Have you found that to be true? I have. Um, I've got a cherry tree, peach tree, plum tree, apple. Um, those are my fruit trees. I've never had much of a problem with bugs for the cherry and the plum and the peach. Now, the apple, I have definitely not mastered. <laughs> so, you know, that's for another phase because my focus is on the flowers. But I know vegetables do well attracting those insects to the garden. Um, the vegetables do a lot better. So do you do you like to compost? Yeah, uh, I have a compost here. There's two great places in town that do organic compost, full circle composting, and um, down to earth that you can, they kind of share with you compost. I share with other gardeners. I'll get chicken manure from one, horse manure from a farmer. So you use upcycled containers. Do you like shop at a thrift store or how do you acquire those? I do. Thrift stores, estate sales, the subscriptions. I take the old arrangement when I bring the new one. And so that's a recycling right there of containers. Nice. So you offered the container with a subscription. I I wouldn't have um, presumed that. So that's really nice to know. So if your ideas and your experience and your wisdom were all wrapped up in new seeds of potential action for other cities, people that would like to do this as well, what advice would you give them? I'd say start doing it with whatever you want to start with. Stick something in the ground. If you can start with organic seeds and organic plants, that gives you a head start and it gives your bee population a head start rather than waiting for those pesticides to be um, knocked out, which sometimes it'll take up to three years for those pesticides to get off the plants. Um, So avoid pesticides. Try to start with things that don't have pesticides. Rose, I have a rosemary hedge and a lavender hedge across the front of the yard that I've got from cuttings. So cuttings from my own one rosemary bush now is translated to a whole rosemary hedge. And uh, lavender grows so beautifully and so well here. Um, So many things do. And don't forget the bushes, you know, the flowering bushes, the forsythia, the um, spirea, the quince, you can start cutting some of those things as soon as um, December 
stick them in water and you have beautiful blossoms in the home. Shrubs make great habitats for birds, for um, bees, obviously. Um, but yeah, don't forget the bushes. I've made lists here of some, the lilac, snowballs, honeysuckle, vine. Euonymus is great. It's green year round. Um, you can use it in flower arranging. It's a great habitat for birds. Perius, I'm just experimenting with. Um, I've got probably, I thought it was about 50, but when I go around and count, I probably got 75 to even 100 varieties of things I'm growing just in this yard. Um, and it's so rewarding to try to start something from seedlings, put it in the yard and see how it does. To have those perennials that get bigger and bigger every year, to put a spade in the soil and see the worms who are having a heyday. Um, it's just inspiring. So start with what you want to grow and um, yeah, experiment. For what resource might you, um, as we kind of wrap up, what kind of resource would you like to recommend? A book, a website, maybe a film that's been particularly helpful? What people are doing here locally has been probably the biggest resource for me because we have a very particular type of climate and we have a particular type of soil to deal with. So what Prema Farms is doing, what Flint Street's doing, those have been really inspirational for me. And so how would you like people to contact you? I have a website. I have an Instagram, uh, Gwendolyn's Gardens with an S, and um, my cell phone, 775-750-7101. Okay. And do you have any parting words of wisdom that you'd like to share? You know, um, flowers add so much to our lives and add so much to the environment. And if they don't last forever, but if you have a great meal and you spend 25, 50 bucks on a really nice meal, how long does that last? Not, not very long. So enjoy the flowers while you have them. You know, they, they add so much to our lives. Thanks for joining us for Local Share Green Action. Until next time, let's all use our unique talents and abilities and take meaningful green local action that benefits the planet and people.